Welcome to Dangerously Likely. I'm Caleb Smith. I'm Terrell Couch. And I'm Torrance Witherspoon. And today, we're Dangerously Likely to be queer again because Torrance is here. <laughs> Yay! Go gays. Let's go above the fold with Torrance. You've been gone for a while. What are some updates? Oh, I didn't know we were going above the fold, but I will take the top story. Um, I, <laughs> I, yes, I, as you guys know, I was gone um, performing in a play, a production of Joe Turner's Come and Gone, which is an August Wilson uh, play. And it was, I just ended my final show on Juneteenth. Um, and it Very was a lot fitting. of fun. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was very fitting. I don't know how much people know about um, August Wilson's works, but he is most certainly the most prolific um, African American playwright of the 20th century, um, if not of all time. And he wrote what is called the Century Cycle, um, which is a series of ten plays that take place from the African American experience during the 20th century, each in each one in a different decade of the 20th century. So um, I performed in the second one, which took place in 1911, um, called Joe Turner's Come and Gone, which is very much about the Great Migration. And it's about these different people and how they are affected by the Great Migration, some from the South, some from the North, and the differing storylines. But ultimately kind of telling this story about um, people kind of finding their purpose or what is referred to as their song in the show. Uh, and it was just a really like lovely experience and it, it certainly hit home i think being able to experience this with a with a, a cast that was entirely black except for one character um and the way that 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 kind of theater experience was different than other ones um that i've been involved in so i was feeling very grateful um for the opportunity um some of the other what the other shows in this series that people might be more um familiar with are and have been adapted into movies are ma rainey's black bottom which was on netflix last year um which is the third show if i remember yeah the third show so the next show they're doing at this theater and then also Fences, which is the, the movie with Viola Davis and Denzel Washington, is is the fifth show in this century cycle. So those are some of the more familiar, well-known titles, but I would certainly advise anyone who's interested in, in theater or in Black narratives um, set in historically accurate times, I would say definitely seek out some of the uh, American century cycle shows. But yeah, I'm happy to be back. Very nice. And while we're happy that you're back, it's probably time we got into the real headlines. Want to give us some above-the-fold news, Caleb? Sure. In climate news, a new nuclear power startup called Nucleo has announced that Clever. it has raised over $315 million to pilot nuclear power projects in both the UK and France. But this isn't just your regular nuclear power. It actually aims to bring down the development and production costs of nuclear power to make it a much more viable option in the fight against climate change. So how will it do this? Their technology is a lead-cooled, fast reactor which operates at atmospheric pressure, which makes it a lot safer than the typical high-pressure water reactors that we have today. These reactors can also run on nuclear waste produced by conventional reactors, which means that uranium will not need to be mined uh, to produce energy from them. These reactors will be much smaller than typical nuclear power plants, but if the technology works and it turns out to be much more cost-effective, it could be another good clean energy option uh, for the future. What do you guys think, Torrance? Uh, I think that any new clean energy is good energy. 
Um, especially it's nice to see that this is happening specifically in the UK and France, two countries who have been um, more closely impacted by um, pulling out from buying Russian oil in a way that we haven't in America. Of course, we're feeling the pain, but not quite to the same extent as our European um, allies. And so I think that any kind of advancements in, in technology that, that might allow them to be less dependent on that oil going forward is not only going to be good for our planet, but good for the people of the European countries who are taking that sacrifice on um, in solidarity and in, in allyship or alliance rather with um, the Ukrainian people. Yeah, I would echo that. <clears throat> um, obviously keeping a conservative hat on in this space, like if it's going to impact our gas prices, why not go for it? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I've, I think I've said many times on the pod that um, any solution to a cleaner, a cleaner energy future, uh, future should be, I guess, part of the solution. So like nuclear, if it's nuclear energy, I know there's a lot of um, issues with nuclear that people have highlighted. I think that if we're able to develop stuff like this safer and cleaner reactors, then I think it deserves to be a part of the solution. It's just so unviable right now because of how expensive it is. Um, but yeah. I re- I'm just of the opinion that everything that we can do to stop global warming, um, we should. Well, it's just expensive because inflation and Joe Biden, right? Get out of here. This is how this day's gonna go. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was like, seriously. I was like, he he kicks us off with this narrative around his need to have the conservative hat on in this conversation. I didn't say I needed to have it, I just said I was just gonna put fueling it on. these ridiculous damn narratives about the gas prices because you know, America conservative Americans are too fucking ridiculous to even look at the fact that our our counterparts right next to us like i don't know canada uh who has higher gas prices than we do it's and also don't understand that oil is priced on a global market but i digress don't get me fired up okay i'm i'm back don't get me fired up but uh to to another topic that that continues to keep me fired up um over the past two weeks which is an update on the january 6th hearings the latest hearing before the house select committee investigating the january 6th insurrection revealed new details tuesday about how former president donald trump pressured state officials to help him overturn the 2020 presidential election the panel featured testimony from three republican officials who were all on the receiving end of trump's outreach after the election georgia secretary of state brad raffensperger his deputy gabe sterbling and arizona house of Representative Speaker Rusty Bowers. Like previous hearings, these officials testified about their unwillingness to participate in the legally dubious schemes that would undermine the election, including efforts to subvert the Electoral College with fake pro-Trump electors. Multiple witnesses told the committee that Trump was personally involved in the effort to put forward slates of fake electors in key battleground states, a key part of the broader effort to overturn Biden's legitimate election victory. Ronna McDaniel, chairwoman of the Republican National Committee, testified that she received a call from Trump and conservative lawyer John Eastman after the election about helping to assemble the electors. When asked by investigators during her testimony about what president said to her on the co- on that call, she testified, quote, essentially he turned the call over to Mr. Eastman, who then proceeded to talk about the importance of the RNC, helping the campaign gather these contingent electors in case any of the legal challenges that were ongoing changed the results of any dates. She went on to say, quote, I think more just helping them reach out and assemble them. But my understanding is the campaign did take the lead and we just were helping them in that role, she added. Bowers also told the committee that her, her that she received a call for he received a call from Trump and Giuliani during which they urged him to go along with a plan to put forward illegitimate pro-Trump electors from the state. He was quoted saying, "I told them I did not want to put be used as a pawn." End quote. Bowers said on Tuesday, recalling what he told Giuliani and Trump on the November twenty second phone call. 
the Arizona House Speaker also testified that Giuliani acknowledged that he was proposing that what he was proposing had never been done before, but continued to push him anyway. That also came up in other conversations with Eastman and others, Bauer said. So I I know you guys have been following um, the hearings over the last week and a half, but I wanted to um, kind of get your thoughts on what you think this means for the larger narrative that the select committee is trying to um, paint about what took place in the, in the the weeks and months preceding the January 6th um, insurrection on the Capitol um, and then also specifically the efforts being made by members of the executive branch and the president himself to um, overturn a free and fair election, specifically in battleground states where there was go- where there would have been a would have affected the outcome of the presidential election itself. Well, true to nature, this is a topic that remains starkly divided. A recent ABC News poll um, that was published on Sunday found that. of respondents believe that Trump should face criminal charges, while 40% of respondents said that Trump should not. Um, And I think that's an important context here, right? Because offline, we've had conversations about bipartisanship and what it means to work across the aisle. And now we have, while we're trying to cheer on and and be happy about this um, gun reform bill that's coming out of the Senate, We have the GOP from Texas talking about succession because there's just a tyrant in the White House right now and they can't support or they can't be a part of this country any longer. And it's deeply disheartening as you listen to these hearings, as you see the faces of those impacted by a former president who was holding on to power desperately. Um the American people are still unable to recognize reality. You still have it 40% of um, registered voters in that poll who believe these were acceptable actions from a person in power and accountability is not necessary for a person in power. Um, Especially after watching the hearings today, um, it was, it's very clear that not only was Donald Trump delusional and deranged, Um, He was willing to sacrifice an entire country for something that he saw uh, for a title that he saw had value. I I've mentioned this a couple times um, to Terrell over the past couple weeks of going over January 6th stuff. I really think that the way that the committee is attempting to show us uh, their work and their evidence and whatnot is by grabbing our attention with new footage and whatnot on uh, the first hearing night on in prime time. And I think a lot of this is like the in between, if we're talking about a TV show um, filler, not to deny or invalidate the importance of these uh, hearings because they have to present it somehow. But I think that the real production value is going to come in future uh, prime time hearings, at least for the public to see. And so it's difficult to know how much attention the last couple of these have gotten uh, versus like the primetime night. I don't know if they have been as talked about or not, um, even if they are just as vitally important. Uh, But I, I, I do think that we'll have a more, I think we'll have a better idea of it once uh, all of this kind of finishes up. Right. And one important thing too, sorry if I cut you off, Torrance. Um, 
I think something that's also missing out on this, and I, I mean, I'm guilty of it right now, is how widespread this is in the GOP. Um, today, specifically, it came out that Ron Johnson was actively trying to get the speaker of his state house to put up fake electors to flip Wisconsin. And he is currently running to be senator of Wisconsin again. Um, you have you have the GOP for Texas literally putting in their party platform this belief that you you can't be a Republican and think that the election is free and fair from 2020. So I do think important to this piece is... I don't even know how to word this without just being... Conservative? No, without <laughs> being blatant of... I'm kidding. We have to. We can't allow for the conservative party to be legitimized any longer. They are an extremist party who is actively trying to do damage to the union, who are not based in reality, reality, and who are willing to potentially cause great harm. I mean, you have a representative from the House who went on to say, "No, I didn't lead any um, of the." future insurrectionists on a tour of the Capitol. You're just making this up. This is why this committee's fake and you have to get, you shouldn't even be allowed to say all of these things only for the committee to release footage showing him walking people through um, spaces of the Capitol that are not normally a part of the tour as they're taking pictures of checkpoints and staircases and all of these pieces to continue to pretend like this wasn't planned or this wasn't actually thought out to some extent is to be delusional and to have 40% of registered voters say, no, the president shouldn't face any charges, shouldn't face any charges from that is just asinine. Sorry, I cut you off, Torrance. No, you're you're completely fine. I was gathering my thoughts as well, just because I know you guys have been discussing this and I haven't had the opportunity to really get into it fully on the pod. Um, I think that one of the, the larger main takeaways that I would like to kind of communicate is that you are very right that we cannot continue to legitimize a party that is this hostile to democracy, um, that is so willing to lie um, to the American people, to defraud the American people um, of their democratic right to a vote. I mean, you were talking about um, the the further kind of extreme conservative um agendas of the of the of the GOP and, and Republican Party right now. I mean specifically um Abbott's campaign who has an agenda that was endorsed by the Republican Party that they just put out where he he quote said quote we urge that the Voting Rights Act of 1965 codified and updated in 1973 be repealed and not reauthorized. This is a party that is specifically and overtly hostile to voting rights, who is hostile to democracy as a whole, given um you know the evidence found in this scheme. This goes all the way up to the president. I think that it's very interesting if one th- thing that i've been noticing across all of all of these conversations is that they really feel like they're throwing eastman under the bus um the republican the republican the people who are testifying on the republican um side really feel like i, I mean it does seem that obviously all of this was an impetus of his memo that he wrote so it, it was his idea that got traction with president trump that they you know they took up this this scheme of fake electors but i think that i i, I fear that Trump will not face the same accountability that I think, um, quite frankly, many others would in this scenario. Um, 
which I, that's a whole other conversation, but specifically, I think that it, it will be dangerous for our democracy if we do not hold them accountable for what seems like a very um, heavy handed involvement in a scheme to defraud the American people from the top down. Let's check out the international fold. Continuing our coverage on the Russia-Ukraine war, as Russia continues to make slow progress in the eastern region of Ukraine, the sanctions from the West are having a limited effect on Moscow. Combating the European cutbacks on oil, Moscow has begun selling discounted oil um, across Asia, specifically to China and India. The surge in demand has been seen in a 28% increase for China alone um, coming out of May, which is helping rebound the ruble, which is the currency in Russia. Um, high on their exchange. These positives add to Moscow's threats of retaliation against a NATO ally, Lithuania, um, and assertions that they have captured American fighters in the region. Meanwhile, Ukrainian officials are urging civilians to flee the occupied southern areas um, ahead of a promised counteroffensive. Circling the globe in under a minute, the Israeli parliament has agreed to dissolve the government following several defections from key parties in the unity government. This development gives new life to the former Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. In the United Kingdom, Prime Minister Boris Johnson calls the rail strikes wrong and unnecessary um, as the country faces one of the largest strikes in Britain in over 30 years. And coming out of Colombia, um, they elected their first quote-unquote leftist president in, can in candidate Gustavo Petro. And we'll be right back. And we're back with Dangerously Likely. Um, today, we want to get into the most recent executive order that President Biden has issued on in an effort to protect LGBTQ plus rights in in the U.S. Um, as they are under attack by many a uh, state legislature, as we have discussed plenty of times before. Now there have been over three hundred plus anti LGBTQ plus pieces of legislation introduced in state legislatures across the country in the past year, um, with twenty eight states having introduced um, anti LGBTQ plus legislation alone in twenty twenty two already. With eight of those states having passed that legislation, um, which include Iowa, Arizona, Utah, South Dakota, Oklahoma. Oklahoma, Kentucky, Alabama, and, and of course, um, the shit stain of the country right now, Florida, led by Republican Governor Ron DeSantis um, and his completely fascistic um, leadership there. Um, so uh, in an effort to do what he can with his limited executive powers, President Biden has, has issued a um, executive order um, to start to try to push back on some of this legislation and push some of our federal um, agencies to do what they can to kind of to protect LGBTQ plus um, equality, specifically um, in an effort to celebrate Pride Month. So we're going to go through some of these specific um, bullets in this executive order, um, the efforts that the administration are pursuing, um, starting with addressing discriminatory legislative attacks against LGBTQI plus children and families, directing key agencies to protect those families. Um, as we've mentioned, over 300 anti-LGBTQ plus laws have been introduced in state legislatures, um, and this is specifically targeting transgender children and their parents by banning access to medical care and support at school. Um, President Biden has instructed his um, agencies, including the HHS, um, to look into possible policies that protect LGBTQ plus children and families from attacks on their access to health care, um, and is, has 
tasked them with releasing new sample policies for states on how to expand that access um, to comprehensive health care for LGBTQ plus children um, and their families. Gentlemen, what do you guys um, think about you know this first bullet point, but specifically uh, the effort to protect access to health care for um, LGBTQ plus uh, children, but specifically, I think we know trans children. I mean, obviously, this is something that's needed. Um, I, I will say, like reading like through this report, you know, obvious like Biden can only do so much with an executive order, and there needs to be a lot of things that are probably put into an actual bill from Congress. But we know that that just probably will not happen um, with Republicans uh, uh, needing ten Republican votes, but. You know, I do think that it's like, like, I'm glad Biden is issuing these executive orders. I'm, I'm glad that they're, they're trying to address a lot of the just outright, um, just gross legislation that a lot of Republican states specifically have passed or introduced, Mm -hmm. um, against LGBTQ, I put the, that community. And I just, um, I don't know, I, Obviously, I wish it would do more, but I'm happy that we have something. I mean, Caleb, you and I can't ignore that during this legislative session in Idaho, um, a bill made it through the House that would have criminalized parents and doctors for providing gender affirming care to youth under the age of 18. Yeah. Like these. These bills have such an impact on individuals. I mean, I I personally couldn't watch the hearings because there was just too much already going on in the world. And I didn't want to watch as youth are being traumatized by some people that are supposed to represent them and be in their best interest. Um, but I was able to hear from social workers and under, other individuals in the field share how demoralizing it was for youth to sit in a committee and be a part of their civic process and watch as legislators acted as if they were confused or not even relevant to the world or to society. And it it can't be ignored. I think, I think Idaho and individuals like myself who are involved in politics in Idaho have this moment of, well, it didn't get passed. Like it was a win but it can't be ignored the ramifications that are caused from it. And it's good that this administration is starting to find its maneuvers and ways to combat those actions, especially for a state like Idaho that relies heavily on federal funding, whether they want to admit it or not. Um, Same with Texas, Alabama, all of these red states. If the federal government can bolster itself and use that as a leverage to inherently say you have to represent all Americans, not whatever version of American you think fits your um, evangelical uh, Christian white thing. That's important. We have doctors now in this state who are concerned with the changing of tides following the primaries and are starting to limit their resources to trans individuals purely because there's this belief and feeling that um, they could be put into hot water and it's, it's angering. That's, I'm just going to ramble because it's, I'm just angry about it. Yeah. I mean uh, that, that specifically um, this, this targeting of young trans youth and their access to healthcare, which um, 
is I think I'm directly related to this next thing that he addresses in the executive order, which is um, conversion therapy. As a candidate, President Biden pledged to help end so-called conversion therapy, a discredited and dangerous practice that seeks to suppress or change the sexual orientation or specifically gender identity of LGBTQ plus people. Um, Today, President Biden is using his executive authority to launch an initiative to protect children across America and crack down this harmful practice, which every major medical association in the United States has condemned. Um, he, he, in this executive order, they bring up that children who are exposed to conversion therapy face higher rates of attempted suicide and trauma, um, and that numerous states across the country have already passed bipartisan laws to prevent exposure to, con- to conversion therapy. Um, with both Republican and Democratic governors signing state bans on conversion therapy into law. President Biden in this executive order is charging um, the Health and Human Services um, Agency with leading an initiative to reduce the risk of youth exposure um, to conversion therapy and will ensure that no federal funding are going to any programs that sponsor conversion therapy. Um, I think that something that is like maybe not being talked about in context of, um, you know, addressing the issue of conversion therapy is that these states that are limiting access to um, gender affirming health care are all but forcing these kids into a some, something that, that resembles conversion therapy, right? Like, I mean, it, right? Like if you can't access the health care that is gender affirming for you, you are in, in, in other words, not allowing them to make the transition that allows them to live in the gender that they that they identify with and thus are are at, at least delaying right um that process of them feeling more like themselves but in in essence and in, in effect i think literally causing some form of, of conversion therapy by not allowing them to do so which i think is um obviously the intent the intent is cruelty certainly um but it is a it is a oppression and an indoctrination into what you were alluding to uh terrell which is this white christian cis hetero um society that i think that is definitely dominating the republican party right now and it's um helpful i know a couple of episodes back during our international fold we were able to highlight that similar conversations and um, bills have been brought up in the united kingdom recently what was interesting about the United Kingdom is it only went so far. It didn't call out trans individuals. It didn't call out any other individuals on the spectrum. It focused specifically on um, gay and lesbian individuals. So it's really appreciative that this administration is taking their forethought to ensure the entire community is incorporated. It's a comprehensive understanding of the impacts of these therapies and it's a comprehensive understanding of um it when you think about african americans when you think about asian americans when you think about the lgbtq community it's never a one-size-fits-all so by being having that forethought to really do your due diligence um it allows for more important um, policies to come out you know i want to say that like i'm more like human relatable um vulnerable uh you know point i would like to say that like you know people who may not understand or have anyone that they are either friends with or closely related to that is a member of the lgbtq plus community that something that i think gets lost in the shuffle with all this is that most gay people most trans people i know went through a phase of wishing there was such a thing as an actual effective you know 
quote unquote conversion therapy. Most people I know wish they weren't gay, wish they weren't trans. Like we understand very early when we recognize this about ourselves that like we are about to lead a life that is likely to be much more difficult, much more um steeped impossible risk and harm from people who dislike us, who hate us for who we are, for something that we at that point in our life wish we could change, that we could make go away. Um, but it's something that you realize through that process of acceptance, like it's not going anywhere. There is no Bible. There is no conversion therapy. There is no pill that is going to make you wake up one day and not be gay, not be bisexual, not be trans, et cetera. And that's just not going to go away. And so it makes it, it even makes it more increasingly more harmful um, for them to be for a party, a, a mainstream party in our country to be championing legislation that may support conversion therapy um, or, you know, withholding healthcare that allows for people to transition into the gender that that they identify with and feel most uh safe in um and you know the, obviously that's another part of the executive order is that um the biden administration is touching on the the discrimination and bullying that nearly half of lgbtq plus youth um experience and seriously considers suicide um and that this is this is one of those big contributing factors, which is a lack of, obviously, um, access to healthcare that allows them to seek gender-affirming care um, and, and begin transition is what, is what it contributes to some of this mental health um, mental health crisis within the LGBTQ plus community, which contributes to homelessness and drug use in the LGBTQ plus community. That these, all of these um, efforts that are um, legislative efforts that are withholding um, resources and care um, and and more broadly culturally acceptance of LGBTQ plus youth are contributing to the high levels of suicide and anxiety and mental health um, issues that are within our community. And so I just feel like it, obviously it's a good step for them to be tasking the HHS um, to fund and work with state legislatures to implement policies that support LGBTQ plus youth and their families. Um, but I think that specifically uh, the campaign to um, and conversion therapy across the country is something that is, is certainly worth our time if we can't do more on a legislative front I at the federal level. And one piece I wanted to add to that, I appreciate President Biden and the administration for approaching this from a nuanced way too, right? Um, a part of the executive order also encourages the Federal Trade Commission to consider whether these practices um, constitute an unfair or deceptive act or practice, and even going so far as to whether they should issue warnings or notices. And the reason I appreciate that nuance, right, is I do think there is an ability to lean into the piece that you were able to share, Torrance, of wanting to be quote unquote normal or parents feeling like they're doing the right thing because their child is struggling with these different, these dueling personalities of what I think is presentable to society versus who I truly am. But if there's a warning or if there's something to really put in the face of an individual as they're getting into the space, that one extra step can be the thing that forces an extra thought. And something I never would have thought of, not a policy I necessarily would have uplifted, but I do appreciate that nuance of while we might not have the, the, political capital or power to outright change it all here are small things that can make the bigger step to to really change the system i just think that like i think what's so frustrating about this and i mean this is like the whole part of the conversation is like you know we have president biden doing a good thing with this executive order but we have so 
much acting against that and just this community in general. And, you know, it's brought on by things like, like Fox news, like Tucker Carlson talking about white replacement theory. You know, it's, it's brought on by a party that is trying to hold on to this, this old power or this, at least it's growing old, this power of white people. And that's what they're trying to hold on to. And they're trying to scare white people. And, you know, the more diverse that America gets, you know, there's going to be more crime, you know, uh, uh, it's going to, yeah, it's not true. <laughs> there's, yeah, everything I'm saying is not true. <laughs> but, you know, like our kids are are going to be uh, revealed to sex too young because of gay people or some shit like that. Like, you know, there's like, um, I've, there's some people talking about, like, remember with the whole Disney stuff and, mm-hmm. you know, Buzz Lightyear has like a gay character in it and, you know, the conservatives have to freak out about that too because, oh, they're trying to indoctrinate our children. And it's just like, it's so frustrating to me because like I I just, I have a hard time understanding why we can't like be accepting of people and supporting people. Like it's, it's about humanity. And I just, I don't know. It's, it's constantly a frustration for me to see us tilt back and forth. Oh, will we, or will we not go back or forward? You know, that's kind of what it feels like in America right now with a lot of these issues. Well, you also have the complete op, you have the complete other side, right? Of, I know a lot of progressives that were not happy with this executive order because it didn't go far enough. And I think that's the true struggle that this country continues to find itself in is that, yeah, it didn't go far enough because there's this party that is actively holding us hostage and all the good things that we can potentially do. But instead of understanding the system and recognizing that incremental change is also as important, you have the much farther left side of the spectrum saying, well, I can no longer support that because according to my purity test, it isn't good enough. So yeah, I completely agree with you. Caleb, you you have this conservative party that we all want to either adapt and change to society and and actually be a party worth caring about or be eradicated, but you can't get there because there's a whole nother group that doesn't understand their system and is actively functioning and working counter to the system. The fact that this is an executive order that is limited in what kind of power we can do to support the LGBTQ plus community. Um, The fact that it's this executive order instead of a more far reaching bill in Congress or legislation that came out of Congress that Biden gets to sign is all the more reason to vote for candidates, this upcoming midterms in every election that, uh, that will support this community and, and go farther in supporting that community at, at a governmental level. Yeah, I mean, so you touched you touched on something, Terrell, that you know that I have a vested interest in, which is this. Um, you know, we brought it up on the pod a couple of months ago uh, about the friend of mine that said, you know, that they didn't think that ultimately there wasn't much of a difference, or you know, with between with the presidential presidential election, that having Biden wasn't much different from having Trump, essentially, um, because we couldn't get any of our legislative agenda accomplished in the way that you know was commensurate with their purity test as you as you call it 
Um, and, you know, I, I had I had taken a kind of a front to that at the time because I pushed back and said, well, you know, it actually means a great deal to LGBTQ plus people, to black people, to have a commander in chief, to have um, the president and leader of our country um, speak about our population of people in a positive light, that he has our back, that he sees us, that he's addressing the issues um, important to our communities um, and not standing up there and saying openly, overtly racist, homophobic, transphobic um, rhetoric from the bully pulpit of the presidency. And um, I think that that, you know, I want to touch on that. Like this is not as, this does not accomplish everything that I would like to see done. Of course not. It doesn't accomplish everything the president would like to see done, but I can't continue to have, you know, make commentary about something ignorant of the realities of our system that he exists in. We all know what he wants. We all know what we want, but, but unless someone's going to wake up tomorrow and snap their fingers, like they, you know, like this is a Marvel movie and we are going to accomplish everything that, that, that we want by the snap of our fingers, then, you know, feel free to do so if you've got that power, but otherwise it's just ignorant commentary about a system that, that uh, yes, is frustrating, but it's the one that we've got and they're not gonna be able to overthrow it tomorrow to, to affect the change that they'd like. And also as much as I hate the fascistic right um, wing conservative party in our country right now, that is openly pursuing very um, fascist policies, legislation and, and, um, policy agendas at a national level, they are a decent, they are a large population of people in our country who have a say, and we live in a democracy. And if I believe that my voice and the the, pop, the majority should have its say in this country, then I have to understand that that's going to be impacted by the other population of people in this country that I disagree with. And I can't try to make policy positions or espouse um, positions that, are, that do not take that into account. It's not living in reality, whether I like it or not. I am not endorsing it i'm not saying i like it i'm saying it's the reality i live in and if we don't acknowledge that then we're just as delusional as the people that we are criticizing um and and to that point you know like obviously the democratic party and president biden and his administration have been pushing for the equality act to be signed in congress which would give these lgbtq plus protections that he is that he has pushed for in this executive order but we do not have the political um headwinds to do that specifically of an entire party that is in opposition to it so yes what we can do is vote and what we can do is trying to move people out of that party in the meantime while we continue to pursue the more progressive policy positions that we have but we, it's both and like i've said a hundred times it is both and and until someone can tell me that, like, that they've got some other means to do so that's what we're going to have to pursue you sound like the bisexual on the podcast recognizing that everything doesn't have to be in a binary <laughs> <laughs> it's happy pride month. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, everything you said hits on that exact point. Like our, I understand the frustration and the disillusionment, disillusionment that Americans have right now. Our systems are failing. It's, you can't lie about that. But what you can say is, they're failing because of a very specific party and a very specific source. The conservative party as a whole is grappling to power with every tool mechanism feature it can find. And we're allowing for it to happen. And again, I know that there are listeners who are going to really push back on that and say, well, I'm not allowing for it. I vote for Democrats, blah, 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 blah. But if you're not having these conversations with your families when you're back at home and they say something that's inherently anti-queer or anti-black, you are allowing it. If you're not challenging your family members when they're talking about, or your friends even, I mean, I've had these conversations plenty, when they're talking about voting for Republicans and really truly calling them out of, oh, so you don't like me like me, huh? 
and they get all uncomfortable and they fall on, sorry, Caleb, they fall on white fragility. I'm not saying sorry to you. I'm not sorry. I'm not saying sorry, Caleb. Why you even mention that to me? I'm not saying sorry, Caleb, as if you're the one who is. I'm saying sorry because I'm just calling out white fragility and everyone's gonna automatically assume it's you and now people really were, so I'm gonna clarify that right now. I'm the I'm the token white fragile boy on this podcast, apparently. That you are. Um <laughs> But if you're not doing that, you are also contributing to the system because (laughs) you are contributing to the system because we need to show people what reality is. We need to help people understand that our queer communities are on the rise. They're healthy. They're they're prospering even because they are actively trying to seek out and find community and find spaces where they can be happy. and even beyond that, there there has to be this growing understanding or this growing belief, if you will, that it, we can't just expect our systems to fix themselves. I mean, the Supreme Court just had an opinion come out today that um, called Maine's ban on funding um, Catholic schools unconstitutional. Religious institutions which, as a whole. To, thank you. Um, which to most constitutionalists would seem hypocritical because we know that the crux of the constitution was a separation of church and state. So as you, as you listen to our pod or as you engage with us offline, there are so many other aspects. And yes, we might be talking about LGBTQIA plus right now, but that constitutional argument that just happened will have a direct impact on this conversation that we're having today when you hear all of these push and claims about grooming and pedophilia and why librarians need to be going to jail because they are pushing these images, when you really get down to the crux of it, it is LGBTQ materials that they're saying are sexualizing our kids. We need to be having this kind of robust conversation and we all have to be part of that. We all have to recognize that the conservative party is living in a delusion and we have to be the ones to either coax them out of it or just make their delusional reality so unattainable that it no longer matters well that was a right. well you know i mean it was but i also like something that you were kind of um dancing around that i think is an important point to be made to button this up at the end is that i think something that obviously the biden administration understands um as a leader of the democratic party in this country um but that more broadly should be understood from a political standpoint is that as we had talked about in our um lgbtq plus episode at the beginning of pride month that it's a growing population in our country. You know, we the Gallup poll revealed that this year ticked up to 7.1% of the American population identifies as LGBTQ+, but more acutely on a political level, when we're talking about what, what age groups vote Democratic and what age groups are being, you know, courted by political parties is that 10.5% of millennials identify as LGBTQ+, and a staggering 21%, and I think growing year over year at this point, um, of Gen Z identifies as LGBTQ+. So championing the rights of these people is not simply just the right thing to do, but obviously they understand it as a politically advantageous thing to do as well, that that that, that is their voting block that we need to understand that needs to be seen, needs to be heard, needs to understand that there is a, Demo- a there's a party in this country and it is the Democratic Party that is fighting on for their rights. They're not going to succeed at everything. They're not going to give them everything that they w- that they want. Trust me, we understand that. But neither party is going to. 
and again, to the point that this is the system we live in, and we've got to work to build power in the system that we have right now, and either to change it, to dismantle it, to to build a movement that allows us to build the country that we want it to be. But disillusionment, although um, understandable from some perspective, is not the way to get the change that we um, that we need. And with that, we'll be right back with Dangerously Likely. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at dangerously underscore likely or email us at dangerouslylikely at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening for notifications of our new episodes and maybe even drop a like or two. How about you take this on a tangent, Caleb? My tangent this week is something kind of interesting that I've just been seeing pop up on Twitter every few days or so. And it's this... Uh, this whole thing by uh, billionaire Mark Cuban, he owns the Dallas Mavericks, as maybe some of you may know. He's also one of the Shark Tank uh, investors. And he also is featured on Frankie and Grace. Oh, yes. He um, he launched a like healthcare drug company back in January. And what it does is it takes a bunch of generic drugs and whatnot that ordinary Americans literally get prescribed every day and it lowers, he only marks them up like 10 to 15% instead of like the hundreds of percentages that most pharmaceutical companies do. So, so, I mean, I don't have an exact uh, uh, example of a drug, but like, I know that there's drugs out there that he sells for like $45 instead of like six or $7,000. And a lot of people have been seeing this and it's like saving them a whole bunch of money. Uh, some Harvard students uh, did an estimation if Medicare was buying from uh, this company that Mark Cuban created, they would sa- they would have saved $4 billion just in drug prices alone uh, last year if they were buying from this uh, uh, drug company. And, you know, I just think that like, first of all, Mark Cuban's a billionaire. He's a he, I don't know how he got his wealth, but I also, I know he invests in like every different industry in some mm-hmm. way. So I know he has some experience in that field. And to me, as someone who is, uh, uh, or has studied business or whatnot, you know, you look at an industry that just hasn't changed and they just mark up their prices so much that it actually just makes it hard for everyone to pay for it, but they have no other choice but to pay for it. Um, there's an opportunity there. There's a huge business opportunity there and you don't need to market up thousands of dollars uh, to still make a shitload of money. And you know what? Marketing up like it probably should be like at 10 to 15 percent, the cost of the drug um, is still going to make you money. And guess what? It helps people actually get the care they need. Um, So, I mean, I've just been kind of seeing this. It seems like a a really cool thing that's going on. Uh, Love to see what your guys' thoughts are on it. Um, yeah. I don't know enough to comment. I mean, I saw, I did see something about this and I think as we were saying off, off air, but anything that's going to introduce a new opportunity for people to save money on their pharmaceutical needs, I think is, is, is obviously a positive thing in, in a country where um, people can't afford their insulin or rationing their insulin and, and dying because of their need to do so because our um, pharmaceutical companies are so corrupt um, that they go deeply unregulated and people are paying 100% on the cost of the, of the um, 
pharmaceutical item that they need, which is literally saving their life. So I think that it's just a disgusting and perverted understanding of capitalism that we have a system that supports people not being able to uh, get the life-saving drugs that they need. So I, I applaud Mark Cuban for doing anything that he can. I mean, obviously it's to make a buck, but I think that he's one of those um, billionaire investors that actually think that there is some um, honor to using capitalism in a positive way. And so I'm happy to see that this is something that, you know, obviously that estimation of a savings of $4 billion alone by Medicare, if they were, you know, getting these drugs at this price speaks to the argument about Medicare for all. And I think that if I remember correctly, Mark Cuban is someone who was not opposed to Medicare for all. And don't forget, every single Republican voted against lowering your drug prices. <laughs> I yeah, I just like I just want to add real quick that like I obviously like this thing that Mark Cuban is doing is like I mean, if it works out, it's great for Americans, right? You can get these drugs that are normally thousands of dollars for way less, like less than a hundred dollars in a lot of instances. And that, that savings, especially on medical stuff, like makes a lot more sense than what it has been for all these years. Um, there's also just like, just to point out that Mark Cuban obviously like sees an opportunity here. If he can steal Mark, like many people away from the market share that these pharmaceuticals have, then like it might force, like he'll get a lot of money at least short term, but it, it, it long-term effect, it might force pharmaceutical companies to lower their prices too. And it'll be very interesting to see if this is successful enough to work into the market like that, because that could be a, a, def, a market, this could be a market defining company. And, but it would take a long time to realize that it's, we'll see what happens. It's going to be interesting. How about you take us on a tangent, Torrance? Um, yes. Yeah, so mine, I'm sure I've already been harped on and I almost got into it a little bit. Um, another part in the episode, which is um, we are living obviously in a gas prices crisis in this country right now. Um, but what do you mean? But I, I, I just want to like, this is my kind of rant about the fact that it can be so frustrating living in this country sometimes because it feels like people are so, and, and rightfully so in a lot of cases, so concerned with their own well-being, their own lives that they aren't um, allowed the time or take the time to truly understand what influencing factors exist in the world that are contributing to the problems that we are all facing obviously we know that the that the um crisis in ukraine and the war um in ukraine uh by russia's invasion is contributing to the price increases in on gas in the world um as well as um the continued supply chain issues that we're facing but i think anyone who does a little bit of research even just a surface level research would understand that we are faring better than mo most every other country um developed country in the world um on gas right now and that that is largely a, a, in part due to one um, the Biden administration's keen eye on on releasing a million um, gallons or barrels of oil from the um, strategic reserve every single day, which is combating the prices. I mean, yeah, we're seeing five dollars, but our counterparts in Canada are seeing six, seven dollars in Mexico as well. They're they're that high in Europe. They're paying as much as nine and ten dollars. Um, per gallon in ways that we're only paying five or high four dollars in many places across the country which is ridiculous of course in comparison to what we were paying before but nonetheless in comparison to other people what they're facing we are faring very well and that is due to the efforts being taken by the administration um and 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 to, to be very clear about it 
the Republican Party voted it completely against a bill against price gouging on gas in this country and are continuing to complain about it, but will do nothing to actually solve these problems because they want these issues for the midterm. They want to to act like there's nothing we can do about it while they're the ones actively working against it. Um, they, you know, obviously in Michigan, our legis- our governor has been has been championing um, our state legislature to pass a uh, pause on our gas tax in the state, which will be taking place between June um, and September. Um, as well as she has championed a a bipartisan group of, a, of of governors across the country to send a letter to the president's desk asking him to do a uh, gas tax holiday um, over the summer, which would bring down gas by uh, you know twenty to thirty cents across the country. Um, which like, I'm just like, I guess what I'm saying is like one, do a little bit of research to understand why we're why these things are happening to our economy. Stop being fed bullshit as excuses from from your biased news sources and do your own research. And then also understand, look at the actual efforts being taken by people in power in this country um, to alleviate to alleviate those problems and stop being just listening to the information you're being fed. It's stupid. It makes you look ignorant. And quite frankly, it's doing nothing to help the crisis across our country. Uh, Terrell, how about you go ahead and take us on a tangent? How am I supposed to follow up after that? My rant's also on doing your own research and not being subjected to recency bias. Um, I saw a tweet recently that apparently Netflix is exploring commercials, which I just think is comical because the whole reason Netflix came to be is Fuck them on that shit. Fuck them. (laughs) (laughs) the whole reason they came to be was to not have commercials and to be this um, different experience outside of cable, which they're seeing they kept raising prices and now they aren't able to do anything because they also felt the need to become a production company, not just a streaming company. Anyway, um, I challenge everyone to remember 2016 the fcc would have recently voted on a um, policy around net neutrality which consolidated streaming services and internet access so that consumers had um, an equitable experience you couldn't have a disney plus cnn plus esm espn plus you couldn't have all of these entities creating their own streaming content and trying to gouge money from the consumers while you still were using the main streaming outlet like a Netflix or um, uh, Hulu that existed at the time. And fast forward to 2017, 2018, you will have an administration that ran against this policy, um, puts in a person who knows nothing about the operations of the SEC and would ultimately vote to overturn it. And now we're seeing the ramifications of those actions. Um, And I feel like a lot of us are just accepting that as a foregone thought. It's gone, so we're never going to get it back. And I would challenge a lot of people to push on this administration, push on this Congress, and remind them that we didn't forget. Because even though I don't think Disney Plus will go, I do think that a movement towards net neutrality, again, will start to combat and, and make us as consumers have power in this area. And I mean, CNN plus failing is a great example of that, right? No one needed a CNN plus with their special content, but the fact that they could even do it is a part of the problem. Well, people don't understand. I think also how this is negatively going to impact, you know, the economy and in some ways, and we're seeing it specifically, I think first with, um, Netflix, because I think a lot of people understand, like, why is Netflix increasing its prices um, at such a, I think, quick 
pace. I mean, we've seen prices increases almost every year. Now they're exploring this idea of commercials and and specific to this um, business structure of being both a streaming platform as well as a production company. That most production companies make it can make heavy, huge investments in making large scale films because they are going to release them on multiple platforms, including in the in a theatrical release, which is how they make the bulk of their money back. But for Netflix, who does either limited or no theatrical releases while also investing um, upwards of a hundred million dollars in one film production um, has no does not have the same revenue streams available to them to compensate for the cost of those productions that, that they are financing. And they think that they're going to do so by attracting new users um, to their platform. But I think at the price point that they have the platform at, they have already priced out a certain population of people in this country and in the world from ever being able to opt into that platform, which would allow them an increase in revenue streams or additional subscribers that would increase their revenue. Um, I think they've hit a cap. And so they have built this process allowed by the net neutrality ruling that I think puts them in a, a financial um, position that is not advantageous to increasing their profits. And thus we're going to see a, a change in what their offerings are, including ads. Um, and I think that that's just one example of how less regulation can contribute to poor business decisions, poor business, business investments that then have an adverse um, effect on the consumer. Stole the words right out of my mouth. I don't know how I just came to that, but I was like thinking about, it. I was like, ah, oh, I feel like a lot of people don't understand like the way that business structures are for production companies versus like streaming or viewing platforms um, and how this could be something that would never be explained to someone how this can happen this way because they seem seemingly disconnected. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's great to have you back. Oh, thanks for having me, Jens. Nah. Thanks for having me. It is nice <laughs> to be back. That's our show. As always, thank you for listening. I'm Caleb Smith. I'm Terrell Couch. And I'm Torrance Witherspoon. And we're dangerously likely to see you next week. See you next week. <laughs>